this, that if you can understand these seven principles, you will be an effective seller of the faith. You will be an effective salesperson for new life. The first one is belief in the product. The second one is believing people need it. The third one is understanding the customer. The fourth one is having an excellent product. The fifth one is embodying the product. The sixth one is marketing the product. And the seventh one is persevering. These are seven keys that we can apply to how we share our faith. Seven solo strategies that we can use when we're talking about that product, about that new life. I want to just spend a little bit of time on that first one. Like I said, later we'll talk about the other, one, the other ones. And don't worry if you miss any of these, they'll be throughout the year. But if you miss any of these, we're putting all of uh, all the sermons on uh, online podcasting, so you can get them online, uh, or even download them on iTunes here in a couple weeks. But let me look at the first one, belief in the product. Before you sell new life, the new life that Jesus Christ offers all people, you have to believe it. You have to own it. Don't try selling something that you haven't experienced. You wouldn't probably sell someone at a restaurant you haven't been to. Have you been to that great Thai restaurant? No, which one? The, you know, the one on Alpine. Or have you? No, I've never been there. No, you wouldn't say that. Yes, I've been to that great Thai restaurant. It's on Perryville, right? Not on Alpine. There might be a good Thai restaurant on Alpine. I don't know. No, you tell people about the restaurants that you've been to, that you like. You tell people about the products that you like. Uh, and our faith is the same way. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't try to tell other people about it. Work on it yourself. And that's the good news. Because not only are we a church of working to find those lost sheep, we are a church that acknowledges that Jesus Christ is actively, let me hear you, actively seeking us. He is searching for us. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is great news. He's looking for you. He's been looking for you for a long time. And all you have to do is turn around and he'll be right there. That's a whole other sermon. But it's really as simple as that. We talk about repentance. And repentance is literally just turning around. We're walking our way so much of my life, I was walking away from God. I knew about God, learned about Jesus, but I was walking away from God. And then in one moment, I talked about it a little bit last week, I turned around and I decided to start walking towards God. And the good news is he was right there. Jesus Christ was right there as soon as I turned around. I didn't have to walk very far. I just had to turn around. And so if you're new to this idea, if you're learning about Christ, if this is your first time in a church, that's okay. We are exceptionally excited that you're here. But we want you to know that Jesus Christ is looking for you. He wants a relationship with you. And that relationship leads to new life. And that is a product we're selling. Now there's a couple keys in terms of believing in the product. First of all, when it comes to selling new life, we don't all sell the same part. This product is a multifaceted product. 
It is an exceptionally complex product. And so some of us have a passion for particular aspects of the product. For example, some of us may have passion for worship and song, for expressing our worship through song. And you may share that with other people. You may turn your friends on to K-Love or Air One or you may invite them to come listen to a Christian band. That's your passion. That's how you can sell the product because that time that you came to Christ maybe for the first time was maybe through a song, maybe through a Christian concert, maybe through a worship leader. For some of you, it's going to be Scripture. And of course, all of these are important for all of us, but some of us just have passions for some things more than others. And so some of you are going to say, man, I I opened this book once and I found just what I needed. And so studying this and sharing this with others, that's my passion. And that's good. That's part of the product. For some of you, it's going to be prayer and particular types of prayer like uh, pastoral, not pastoral, excuse me, uh, you know, praying for other people. It's prayers of intercession was the word I was looking for. Literally trying to intercede on behalf of other people. Some people are just exceptionally good. We got some people here that are just great intercessors. They can pray for other people nonstop. Wonderful gift. You're going to share that gift. Some of you have a heart for helping people. Not in big lofty ways, in in literal ways, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, how Jesus did that. But Jesus fed the hungry. He clothed the naked. He helped the poor and the sick. Some of you have passions for ministry in that way. And there are a lot of other things. I could go on all day. Understand what your passion is. Pray about it. Ask God, what what did you build me for? God gave me a particular set of gifts to serve Him with. And I use those gifts every day. God's given you gifts too that God wants you to use to Worship and praise and glorify Him and share that message with other people. We don't all have a cookie-cutter way of sharing our faith. I'm not going to tell you tonight to go to your neighbor's house, knock on the door, and ask them if they know Jesus Christ. Some of you can do that and do it well. Not all of you can. Some of you have other ways. Embrace them. Now you may ask yourself, what? What if I don't know what my passion is? Or, or what if I've lost my passion? Maybe as a young person I was passionate about Jesus in this way or passionate about the ministry in this way. But as I've gotten older, I've, I've lost that passion. Well, your relationship with Jesus Christ is the same as your relationship with anybody else. It takes work. And sometimes it ebbs and it flows. Sometimes you're going to be passionate. Sometimes you're going to be less passionate. But it does take work. You can't just have a relationship with Jesus Christ and then be done with it. Just like you cultivate a friendship, just like you cultivate a marriage, just like you cultivate your children, you have to invest in your relationship with Christ. That comes through living out your passion, living out what God called you to do. That comes through worshiping as a community. That's why we gather together. That comes through fellowship and hearing from Scripture. It comes through praising God. It comes through prayer and devotion. 
It comes through serving out in our community. It comes through having fun. Tomorrow, we're going to celebrate and share in the Super Bowl together. We're going to hear some great music, worship God. We're going to eat a lot of junk food. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, I think New York, but I'm not, no. I'm not sure. I have no, no stake in that. That's my opinion. my opinion. So we have to live it where we are, and we have to sell what we believe in. So work on that. If, if you've lost your passion, spend a little time each day with Jesus. Spend a little time each day with your Bible. Uh, start a devotion. You know, you don't need permission to start a small group. It's real easy. I could give you three, four dozen resources today and say, here, I could just give you books, literally. Get a small group together. Here's a DVD. Listen to a talk. It's all it takes. Get together in prayer. Pray for 15 minutes. It's all it takes. All right, I want to go to the Finders 5 because this is the theme of our year. It's uh, the theme of uh, one of the purpose statements of our church uh, and, and a very important thing. Now, you'll see, and it's in your uh, program, uh, this little diagram, it's a little circular diagram, and it's up on the screen as well. And I didn't bring my laser pointer, I should have. This is the, uh, the circle of relationships that we find ourselves in. Now, in the center, picture yourself. In that smallest circle, it says the flock, that's us, the 99. I have to be careful because that has some other connotations. The 99 sheep is what I was referring to. Those who know Christ, all right? For each of us, so picture yourself, you're in that little circle. Each of us then has circles of relationships, various circles of relationships. And I at least found five words that start with F that, because it would be convenient if we did it that way, so we did it that way, that represent those different relationships. The first and closest circle is your family. Like it or not, you were born into a system. The second one is your friends. Those are the closest people that you've brought into your life. The third is faces in the crowd. Those are people you see at work every day, but you really don't know. You, uh, you know, our waitress, we, we go walking. Some of the men go walking uh, Tuesday morning, and we eat at uh, Jessica's up in uh, Roscoe. And our, our waitress's name is Vicki. And she waits on us every Tuesday morning. She's a face in the crowd. She's someone we know by name. We see her every day, know a little bit about her, but she hasn't become a friend. The next is the forgotten, those people we don't think about. Now, I believe the closer we get to Christ, the more people we start thinking about, the more people we start exposing ourselves to. But generally speaking, over 99% of the population of earth you don't think about on a daily basis because you don't know them. There's a lot of people in Asia and Africa and South America and Canada and Mexico and even other states and uh, everywhere else that you've never met that you don't know anything about. And sometimes we put them out of our mind. And then finally, the farthest circle from us is the forsaken. Those people that we literally 
separate ourselves from. Some of that has to do with the isms in our lives, racism, sexism, ageism, all kinds of isms. The other parts of it has to do with people that we've been hurt by or who have hurt us, people that we separate ourselves. Now, sometimes people who are our family become forsaken, people who are our friends become forsaken, and that's the most painful. But those are those people who have been forsaken by us, by others. You could make some general statements about that, but a little bit to think about those finders five. Those are the five groups of people that as I read the gospel, Jesus reached out to. Jesus reached out to people in every one of these categories. And so as we uh, journey through this together over the course of this entire year, we're going to see examples of how Jesus interacted with people from each of these circles of relationships. Today we're going to focus on family because that is the closest circle to us. That is both the easiest and the hardest circle to interact with. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn them to the Gospel of John just a couple chapters later. To the end of the Gospel, chapter 19. It's going to be verses 25 and 27. Jesus is actually saying these words from the cross. So if you look throughout the four Gospels, there are seven phrases that Jesus says from the cross. In each Gospel, you get a few of them. Here in John, you get a a very special, at least to me, a very special phrase. Here are these words from the 19th chapter of John, uh, just the 25th through 27th verses. So the soldiers did this, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near her, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour on, that disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, took her into his own home. The cross wasn't as tall as we sometimes picture it. It was pretty much level. So if Mary was standing where I'm standing, Jesus would have been about here. His head would have been about here on the cross. So we could hear him. People around the cross could hear him, see him, see him suffering. But in one of the last moments of Jesus' life, with one of the last bits of energy that he has, he looks down and sees his mother. And his words to his mother aren't, Mother, repent. Mother, do you know me? Jesus didn't knock on people's door and say, Do you know about me? I'm Jesus Christ. He never did that to my knowledge. He often asked people, do you know me? And then asked if they really did know him. But his way to reach out to his mother, and there are a lot of passages in Scripture where Jesus reaches out to his family. And Jesus interacts with his family. We know Jesus, of course, had a mother and a father, an unearthly father, Joseph. He had brothers and sisters, the Scriptures tell us. He had cousins. John the Baptist was his cousin. 
He had aunts and uncles. You know, Elizabeth was his aunt. Zechariah was his uncle, probably had other uncles and aunts. He had probably a large family. And there are several times in Scripture that he interacts with family. But here, at the end of his life, I think he does something that tells us what's at the heart of evangelism, especially when it comes to your family. He looked his mother in the face. His mother who at this time maybe was 40, 42 And he said, Mother, that is your son. Now, he didn't say that to be mean or cruel. He said that because he knew that Mary, being a widow, we assume Joseph had died by this point. And there wasn't Social Security, and there wasn't workman's compensation, and there wasn't pension programs. So Mary had to rely on her children to feed, to to have food, to have clothes, to have a life, to have a place to live. And Jesus saw that need as he died, as the eldest son died. He said, listen, this man whom I love, he will be your new son. He will take care of you. All of those needs that you have, all of those things that you need, the food and the clothing, the opportunities, the shelter, the house, he will provide those for you. Jesus looked his mother in the face and he didn't give her a grand sermon about how she needed to be saved. He didn't tell her about how she needed to know the Bible better or how she needed to spend more time in prayer. We know Mary was a righteous and wonderful woman. But he saw that she would need simple things and he sought to find her to really touch her soul through meeting those needs. Jesus teaches us something very, very simple. Because when it comes to our family and sharing our faith with our family, yes, they are the closest group to us, but they are also a hard nut to crack because our family know us. They knew us when? They knew us in the bad days. They knew us when things weren't going so well. They knew us when we ran to them for help, when we ran away, when we came running back. And so when you come back to your family and say, I just have experienced this new life and I want to share it with you, they may say, yeah, right. We've heard this sales pitch before when you found that product, before when you found that great job, when you found that great man or woman, when you found that great opportunity, that great car, that great house, and it failed. How will this be any different? And so we have to be careful when it comes to reaching, finding, sharing our faith with our family. The best way we can do it, the way that Jesus teaches us from the cross, is to meet their needs to reach out to them through daily exercises. I can share just one, I can share lots of stories, but I can share one story in particular that comes to mind. When I think about sharing my faith with my family now, I was raised by a preacher. So that part has been pretty easy because he's pretty religious as it goes. And my mom and dad have a great relationship with Jesus Christ, and I know that. 
because they live that out in their life every day. And my family's small, so I don't have a lot of other relatives. But my brother, who is 11 years older than me, he also grew up in that same environment. He also went to church. He was maybe more involved in church than I was as a young person. And he went off to college and was involved in church there and eventually fell away from the establishment. Now, that's common for the Generation X, which he is part of, to be fed up with the establishment. And so he moved away from the church. And although he knows about Christ, he knows the Scriptures, he was baptized, he still comes to church occasionally when I make him. I don't think he does probably have a great relationship with Jesus Christ now. He's moved away from that. And so, and so I'm always, always praying, always thinking about ways to reach out to someone whom I love just great amounts. And his wife, my sister-in-law, who uh, grew up in a Buddhist home, uh, being from Taiwan, in a Confucius background, had no experience of Christianity. And so for her and him and my niece Jordan, constantly praying, how can I share this with them? Because I know that it would make an impact on their life. That's what I'm getting at, Todd. Thank you. Not too long ago, my brother and sister-in-law became pregnant for the first time, and there were some serious complications. And the child did not make it to uh, birth. And so my brother came to me and he asked, after I had had several conversations over the phone with him and in person, just about the pain of losing this child, he asked, would you be willing to have a service, just our family, at your church for our daughter? And I could have taken some righteous high road and said, no, you know, that's not appropriate. That's, you know, this or that. You could have made up all kinds of reasons why I wouldn't have done that. But I felt in my heart by meeting that need that something in them maybe one day would recognize, one day would feel the same thing that I feel, the same thing that my wife feels that love of Jesus Christ. And so we had a very powerful, intimate memorial service for my first niece who did not make it to life. And I pray and I hope every day that we can continue to cultivate that relationship because it is hard. Because he knew me when? When I was, you know, throwing poop around. Well, I, I, he was 11, so, you know, who knows what he... All kinds of things. But he knew me when. Now, it doesn't have to be such grand gestures. It can be little things. And it's not always about the family who doesn't know Christ. Sometimes it's about the family who does. If you and your spouse have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to work to find them every day. I know that's kind of strange, but... I want to try every day to do things, to meet needs for my wife that show her Christ. 
Amen. And a lot of us share that same story, Todd. Yeah. And we want to share that with others. So I encourage you, think about meeting those needs. When it comes to those people who are closest to you, how can you just share with them expressions of love? Share with them expressions of Christ every day. There's a couple things I want to leave you with tonight. The first comes from sales and the second comes from the Finders 5. I want you to work this week and I think you'll find it here in your program. A couple things just to think about this week. I want you to work on your passion. If you can identify your passion for ministry, where is God calling me into ministry? That's awesome. Be able to identify it If you're living that out in our community, wonderful. If you're not living it out in the community, guess what? We would love for you to live that out in this community. If you don't know how, you can come talk to me. You can come talk to Jamie. You can come talk to Whitney. You can come talk to Jeff. That's why we're here. That's as a staff, that's why we are here to help cultivate your passion for ministry. And guess what? We're a new church. That means there's a lot of ministries we are yet to be doing that we aren't doing now that we want to do. And we can only do that if people who have passion step forward and say, let's do this ministry. And I say, yes. Guess who's leading it? (laughs) The people with the passion. So think about that. If you don't know what that passion is, pray about it. Ask, God, what did you make me for? You know, if, if you can't answer that, that's a great question to ask. That's a great place to start. God, why am I here? Why am I on this earth? Why did you put me here? It doesn't have to be grand and, you know, spectacular. God put us here for a reason. God's given us gifts. Next, with your family now, if you, if you have a family unit, I encourage you. Now, now, we sometimes say you can't choose your family, right? Because you can't. You know, I, I didn't choose my parents. I didn't choose my brothers. But I did choose my wife. And you did choose, whether you were expecting them or not, to have your children. My mother always says, you know, I was, I was a surprise, and that was, you know, a good thing. Not a mistake, a surprise. <clears throat> so you chose them one way or the other. If they're here, then you've chosen them. And that family that you chose, I do believe you have a responsibility to. So I encourage you. Among your family, your closest knit. Now, you know, if you, have, if you can do this with aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, parents, grandparents, wonderful. Get together and have a family meal. Don't turn on the TV. Don't do it with the Super Bowl. If you have to go out, fine. If you can not go out, better. Do it someplace quiet and secluded. And with no distractions, over a common meal, ask and find out what your family needs. What's your spouse need this week? What do your children need? Sometimes our children say things to us that we, it just doesn't register. And what they're trying to communicate is they have needs that aren't being met. And sometimes those needs can become significant roadblocks in their life. Sometimes it can be the same with our parents, especially if our parents are elder elder what their needs are. Sometimes it can be a brother or sister or cousin we haven't talked to, but we're close to in a while. So I encourage you to do that. Do that exercise. And I believe it's through sometimes those needs that we can truly 
share that new life and truly work with Christ to find those lost sheep. Amen. I'm going to have the praise team, faithful ears, come forward. As I do, I want to encourage you, uh, if you are a guest tonight, we are so glad you're here. Uh, please fill out one of these uh, communication cards. Um, if you have been here several times and you have not gotten a letter from me, a handwritten letter, uh, it's probably because I don't have your information. Uh, so please, please fill out one of these green and white communication cards. Uh, I would love to just thank you personally for being here. i uh, love to be able to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, you can just put these in the offering baskets as they come around. Uh, encourage you uh, that, uh, you know, as a new congregation, any gift you give is just a, a powerful and just a special gift uh, because it works to build up this community. It works to build up our ministry so that we can have a hopefully uh, world-changing impact on this community that we live in. Uh, just remind you, you can make checks out to New Life, but also you can give online. You can go on our website and through Secure Give, which is a program that we use that is very safe, you can actually give online. Uh, and you can uh, give in a number of ways. If you have questions about that, you can talk to me or Jeff, uh, and we'd love to do that. But I, I have not been bringing that up. But feel free. Uh, that is a great way for you to give. Of course, we also accept cash and all of those kind of things. Uh, but uh, just so that you have those options. We talked a lot. I was at Laity Convocation, Jeff and my wife and I. Uh, and, th you know, that's a lot of big words. Uh, it's a time for the uh, lay people, which is everybody who isn't clergy, me, um, for, to get together as the conference. So all the United Methodist churches uh, had some lay people go and share together some great things and a uh, wonderful opportunity to realize that we are part, being part of New Life United Methodist Church means we are part of a church that is connected to hundreds of other churches, not just in Illinois, not just in the United States, but across the world. We learned today that over the last 10 years, the United Methodist Church in other parts of the world besides the United States has grown by 4 million people. So there's work that we are doing because we are all connected, because we all support the ministries that we share in. There are four more million people who know Jesus Christ. What an awesome experience to be part of a church that's connected in that way. So I encourage you to realize that when we support this church here in McChesney Park, we are supporting a much larger body uh, than just a few people here. We are supporting millions across the globe. Uh, and that's a great experience. So let us pray, uh, and then we'll collect our offering and we'll come into the uh, final part of our worship, our praise experience. Let us pray. Lord, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to seek out, to save the lost. And so today we pray for those who are lost. They may not know it, they may not realize it, but some of them do. We pray for those who are hurt, those who are alone, those who don't know where they're going, those who are in a dead-end job, a loveless marriage, who don't know what to do with their kids. We pray for our families friends, those faces we see every day. We pray for those people we don't think about. We pray for the people we do think about, but we think poorly of. Be with all of those who do not know your Son, Jesus Christ, who do not have new life. Help us experience new life tonight. 
Help us as the people of the church. Come together. Go out. Find others. Share with them your message. Share with them new life. So that together, as we grow, as we build, as we strengthen, we can truly change this broken world. Mend this broken world.